Good morning, church. Good to be with you this morning. Got a full house, lots of things exciting and wonderful to celebrate happening. Um, my name is Lisa Watson. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ City Church, and I am also the leadership development and training director at the Christian Community Development Association. Um, so I have uh, a lot of opportunity to get to spend time with you and help our church understand what it means to follow Jesus into the margins and learn how to serve him and lead people there. Um, so that is not working. Here we go. I'm going to read our scripture this morning. Um, I'd like to invite you to stand as you're able to reverence the reading of God's word. Today's passage comes from the book of Judges, chapter 4, verses 4 through 10. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take with you ten thousand men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops, to the Kishon River, and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly, I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you're taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. There Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So we're in a study um, called Eitzer, and uh, it's a study on women of the Bible. We've been looking at different women, um, women that God uses to move forward the story of redemption and salvation that we see unfolding in the Bible. So the purpose of the series is twofold. First, we want to learn more from our spiritual foremothers. Second, we want to see how these women, each in their unique way, points us more deeply towards a hope that is ultimately found in Jesus. We want to notice how the women in the Old Testament actually provide echoes and signposts to the hope that we have in the coming of Christ. Um, we've, we've visited the stories of Eve, of Hagar, and last week of Rizpah. Um, God created Eve in the very first story as the Eitzer, which is translated a suitable helper. Um, and he made her in, in his image. And Matthew reminded us of that. Um, and that as, as being made in God's image and as being made of, of the suitable helper, that, that Eve was not subordinate to him. Um, we took a look at Hagar, the young slave woman and a mistress, who was the first woman to name God. She declared him as the God who sees me. Last week, Justin introduced us to Rizpah, the relentless, prophetic mother of seven sacrificed sons who held vigil at their crucifixion and defended their honor for seven months straight until they received a proper burial, which not coincidentally brought forward an end to the famine that was happening under King David's reign. 
Her story challenges us to remember that there is a difference between solidarity and sympathy. And even though we can't do everything, everyone can do something when it comes to doing justice for the poor and for the marginalized. Deborah's story actually, so we did them out of chronological order. So Deborah's story actually precedes Rispa's story. Um, and it is categorically different than the stories of Hagar and of Rispa because Deborah is an established leader. We learn from Rispa and Hagar from their stories of oppression. You know, it's out of their oppression that, that we're, we're learning their lessons and how to lead and what it means to, to help. Um, but with Deborah, um, she has positional authority and power, and she's not a pawn in someone else's story. During the time of Deborah, the, during the time of Deborah's leadership, the people of Israel were ruled by a sequence of judges, and she was one of them. Now, the period of the judges um, was kind of like, well, the book of Judges is an overview of a 200-year period between the Exodus, when all of the Israelites left Egypt, and the settling um, in the land of Canaan, uh, and also like before the kings, right? So during that time, there, there weren't kings, um, and they were not ruled in Egypt any longer. Um, so rather than kings, what God instituted was judges as a leadership. And the book of Judges presents us with a sad and turbulent period in Israel's history. Um, that's in great contrast to the book of Joshua, which is all about conquest and victory and all of that. Um, Judges shows the failure of Israel to conquer their enemies and claim their inheritance um, and the, the huge effect that that had on their life and relationship with God. Throughout the entire book, we see a repeated cycle, one that we'll call the cycle of sin. Oh, there we are. It's on the slide. Um, Israel serves the Lord. Israel falls into sin and adultery. Israel is enslaved. Israel cries out to the Lord. Um, and then God raises up a judge, and Israel is delivered. And round and round it goes for like 200 to 300 years. This is, this is the story of the, the people of God. Um, the book of Judges in chapter 2, verse 18 and 19 says, Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as, as long as the judge lived. For the Lord had compassion on them as they groaned under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their fathers, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refuse to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. This is the story that we find Deborah coming into. So let me introduce you to her. Some of you may be familiar with her. Um, she was a prophet and a judge. And in chapter 5, she's actually called the mother to Israel. Um, in, in sort of the, the study of Eitzer, what does it mean to be a suitable helper? Because Deborah had positional leadership, what we can glean from that is that um, leadership and helping are equivocal. So you can actually help and lead. That is a way to help, is by leading. Um, and Deborah's story really reminds us of that. Um, there's a reminder, too, that of the 21 times that Eitzer is used in the Old Testament, 16 of those refer to God as being Israel's help. So in that is another evidence that Eitzer helping doesn't mean subordinate. 
Deborah's unique in her role among the other judges as both prophet and judge. All the rest of the judges were just judges, and they helped to lead the country. But Deborah was a prophet and a judge. She is the wife of Lapidot or Lapidoth, which Lapidoth in, in Hebrew actually means like fiery or torch, which I think is, is fantastic. It's like saying she's like a fiery woman. And her name, Deborah, is an anagram for the Hebrew word Dibra, which means to speak out. So putting all of these things together, who we have in Deborah is a prophet, a judge, a mother to Israel, who is like this fiery leader woman who speaks words of truth to God's people. The story of Deborah is told in both chapters four and five. One is a chronological telling of the story, which is what we read. This is what happened, this sort of sequence of events. And in chapter five, Deborah sings a song and she tells the story through this really beautiful and one of the most ancient actual pieces of, of literature in the Bible. Um, so when you have time, you know, right after church, you should read it. Just kidding. Um, so we only read the first 10 verses, and all you know is that Deborah calls Barak, and she says, you know, you got to go out and lead. Let me tell you the rest of the story in a very summarized form. Um, Barak and Deborah rally the troops. They head to Mount Tabor, as God had instructed. Sisera, the commander of the Canaanite army, finds out about this, and he rallies his troops. The story tells us that he had 900 chariots of iron, which was terrifying to the Israelites. I'll get to that in a minute. Um, this made his army the superior force in the battle. Deborah gives Barak the signal when the time is right, and Sisera's army is in the valley of Kishon, uh, valley of the Kishon River, and they attack the Canaanites. Simultaneously, God fights with Israel by sending this massive downpour of rain, right? So they're in a valley with a river, the Kishon River, and God fights with them by sending this massive downpour of rain, which what happens then is the river like widens and everything becomes a muddy mess. You know what happens when everything becomes a muddy mess with 900 chariots? They don't go anywhere. So they're all stuck. And then, uh, and then Barak's army comes in and eliminates them. <laughs> um, they take out the Canaanites. Now, Sisera, being the brave leader that he is, decides to hike it away from there on foot, and he just jets. Leaves, and he goes on foot, and he's running away. He finds a tent, and the woman who is living there invites him in. Her name is Jael. Tired as he was from the battle, and in an attempt to get some sleep, Jael offers him some milk and covers him with a blanket. And he tells her, look, just post up out there outside the tent. If anybody asks you if I'm here, if you see me, you got to tell them no. And so she's like, sure, cool. Just rest a little bit. <laughs> and he falls asleep. And she grabs a tent stake and a hammer and right through the temple, done. Pretty gross. Um, Barak comes by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael shows Barak that she has vanquished his foe. As Deborah prophesied, a woman, Jael is the one who's honored for the victory, not Barak. So that's the story. Um, today we're going to actually look at what Deborah, ways that Deborah leads, and some lessons that we can learn from her leadership. 
Since our sermon series focuses on how our eights or women point us towards the hope that is found in Jesus, we'll actually also take a look at how Jesus exemplifies these lessons as well. So the first is leadership through listening. Deborah listened to God and then communicated God's messages to the people. And while we don't know what her practice of listening looked like, we know that her leadership was empowered by the time she spent listening to God and receiving the words of God for his people Israel. In Judges 4, 6, she tells Barak, the Lord, the God of Israel commands you, go. And then in verse 14, she says, Again, go, this is the day that the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. She could not have known those things had she not been listening to God. I'm a, I'm a mom of three kids, um, Nathan, Elias, and Annalise. And occasionally, I have to give instructions to my kids so that they can give instructions to the other kids. So like, for instance, you know, um, Elias, run upstairs and tell your brother and sister it's time to set the table, okay? So sometimes I'll even caveat, like, now, I want you to do it politely, <laughs> right? Because on his own, Elias would be like, oh, yeah, I've got a word from mom. And I'm going to, like, run up there and just, mom says get downstairs. So I have to give instructions, not just on what to say, but how to say it. And if my kids don't listen to me, that can go really wrong right? Like feelings could get hurt, uh, you know, conflict could ensue. So listening is a really important part of leadership. When I'm giving Elias leadership to, you know, an opportunity to go and lead his brother and sister, having them listen is a really important part of leadership. Coming back to the scripture, um, but this time to Jesus' life, we see that he also listened to God. John 8, 28 and 29 says, I, don't, I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. And again in John 12, verses 48 through 50, For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. So friends, if Jesus, who is God, still listened to the Father so that he could live a faithful and just life, if he still listened to God, how much more do we, as non-deity children, need to spend time listening to God? So, I, I listen to the radio. Do, does anybody listen to the radio? Like 10 of you, great. Um, <laughs> there, you know, there was a time when everybody listened to the radio. There was no such thing as Pandora or podcasts or Spotify or Apple Music or whatever have you. Um, there, we all listened to the radio. And back in the day when I was a kid, radios didn't have buttons so much as they had knobs that you like turned the knob and tried to tune in the station. So what could happen is when you're, when you're moving towards the station that you want, you could actually be in between two stations, right? And it's like, you can kind of hear both, 
But what you mainly hear is all that fuzzy static noise. And you can't, like, it's really distorted. Everything is really distorted. I think that sometimes we try to squeeze God into the middle of the channels of our lives when we listen to him. And, and that doesn't actually work very well. Um, for best results, really, you can only listen to one station at a time. You have to fully tune in to just one station to hear it well. Listening requires a choice of where we want to place our attention. And when we silence the other demands of our time and the messages we're receiving from work and from school and from friends and from family and from all the things, and when we tune into his voice, we learn to hear him with clarity and we're empowered to lead from a place of God-given authority. Several weeks ago when Matthew preached on Eve, he mentioned that the problem Eve and Adam faced was in rejecting God and disobeying his words, and that God's voice became one of many rather than the one voice against whom all others were measured. So the question for us today is, who are you listening to? How is your spiritual practice of listening these days? Are you in between stations, or are you tuned into the voice of the Lord, our God Most High? Deborah's story and Jesus' example teach us that fulfilled leadership is found through listening. Another lesson that we learn uh, from Deborah is that of leadership through presence. Verse 4 says, Now Deborah, a, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. So Deborah was God's chosen leader of this time, and she could have chosen anywhere. She could have led from anywhere, right? God had empowered her. She probably had the resources to do whatever she needed. Do you know where she chose to be? in the midst of her people, between on a road, underneath a tree, between Ramah and Bethel, a place that was very convenient, very accessible. She wasn't removed in some sort of fortified building that provided her some comfort and some security from all of her people. She was accessible. She was right in the middle of her community and she led with authority from that space. Beyond her accessibility and centrality, which are key to her leadership through presence, we see that Deborah also leaves the familiar in order to be present with Barak. So she, she gets Barak, she says, God, is, God has said this, uh, so you've got, to, you've got to get the troops rallied up. And he said, look, I'll go only if you go. If you don't go, I'm, I'm done, I'm not in. And rather than like abandoning him, and shaming him for his cautious approach, she, she further commits him, herself to him. She said, yeah, I'll go with you. She goes with him to Kadesh to summon the men of Naphtali and Zebulun, which was far, by the way. I don't know how many miles. I looked at the maps, it's far. There's no research on how many miles. So it's far. Um, it wasn't just a day-long walk. So she goes up to Kadesh, 
And then she comes to Mount Tabor, she hikes Mount Tabor, so all through the, the hillsides of Ephraim and up to Zebulun and Naphtali, she's walking. This is, this is a time-intensive thing, to be present with Barak. She commits days, maybe even weeks, maybe even months away from home. Did she have young children? If she did, she probably missed putting them to bed at night or giving them a hug in the morning when they woke up. Were her children grown? If they were, she may have been older in all the days of walking in the hillsides of the Ephraimite country all the way up to Kadesh. Would have been wearing on her and then back down to Mount Tabor. That would have been a challenge. What we, we just don't know. We don't know which it was. Did she have kids? Did she have not? Was she young? Was she old? We don't know. But what we do know is that she understood the importance of leading her people by being present with them. And she did whatever it took to lead well in that way. Deborah provides a signpost to us of the same value as lived out by Jesus. In fact, I mean, you know it, Emmanuel literally means God with us. John 1.14 tells us that the word Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He left the comforts of heaven to live for a while in the midst of his creation, to be human alongside us for the express purpose of delivering us out of bondage, of brokenness and sin, and into relationship with our creator, the God who loves us. When that was accomplished, Jesus, the word made flesh, returned to heaven, but left us with God, the Holy Spirit, who now indwells every single person who believes. God did not just stay in heaven and rule and lead us from heaven. He sent Jesus down to earth, and he didn't just send Jesus down to earth, and then once his mission was accomplished, Jesus goes back, and then we're left to ourselves. No, he sent the Holy Spirit who indwells us. God is present, and we are not alone. And when we lead well, we lead from a place of presence. Deborah taught us that, and Jesus exemplified that through his life. With whom are you being present? Have you taken time to sit with a friend in pain and in need and lead them through the trial they're facing by being there with them? Is there a phone call you need to make this week? Is there a meeting that you need to schedule so that like Deborah and Jesus, you can lead through presence? The final leadership lesson we'll learn this morning from Deborah is about leadership through faith. Oftentimes, uh, calling people to faith means calling them out of fear. This is the case with Deborah and the Israelites. Because of the 20-year-long cruel oppression that Sisera and the Canaanites had over Israel um, and the ways that they were terrorized them, the Israelites were so afraid that they wouldn't even travel by road, right, for fear of bandits. Chapter 5, verse 6 says, The highways were abandoned. Travelers took winding paths, meaning we're going to just camp out out here. We're not traveling the roads. They're far too dangerous. Absolute fear had gripped them, and they were literally terrified. 
And because there was no king yet in Israel, and it was instead led by judges, there was no formal trained military, right? Like you don't have a king, you don't have an army. To make matters more complicated and even scarier for the Israelites, the scripture indicates that all the weapons that had once been crafted by the Israelites had been take, taken away, presumably by their captors. Chapter 5, verse 8 says, but not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. This is, this is a challenging task, right? Like, they are terrorized people. They won't even go on the roads. They don't have shields. They don't have spears. They've been oppressed by Canaan for 20 years. And it's Deborah and Barak's task to say, let's get ready, we're gonna fight. And we're gonna get out from the oppression that we've been under for the last 20 years. Think about that. The fear that she was calling them out of. Now her task was simple, but it wasn't easy. She and Barak summoned the 10,000 person volunteer, unskilled, ill-equipped band of villagers to overcome their fear and fight against the well-resourced and organized army of Sisera. How does she do this? By reminding them of God and his commitment to them. Her message was, go. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? These powerful words, though few, shook the fear out of them, crippling that crippling fear and called them once again to faith in God who she reminded them had already gone ahead of them and would deliver them from their oppressors. Deborah's leadership called her people from a place of fear to a place of faith. We see Jesus do this time and again in the Gospels. I feel like he's always telling his disciples, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Whether they're on a sea in the midst of a terrible storm or facing the death of loved ones, Jesus reminds people to not be afraid, and he calls them to faith instead. I have a Deborah in my life. She's, she's actually both a literal and a figurative Deborah. Her name is Deb Hirsch. Um, and about a year ago, I asked her to mentor and disciple me. Um, I met Deb years ago at a conference, and one of the first things I remember about her was her commitment to calling forth women into leadership in the church. Deb and I connect monthly and she walks me through questions I have about spiritual practices. Um, she sent me a book on Sabbath several months ago as I've explored over the past year or so how to implement Sabbath in my life um, that, that is as busy as yours. Um, she calls me to faith in Jesus in the midst of my fear and my anxiety and in my stress. She encourages me to lean into new areas of my life and calling by keeping me accountable to writing and reading and resting. Her leadership and partnership have helped motivate me to live more faithfully in my walk with Christ. And I suspect that over the years, as she and I continue to walk this road together, um, that I'll be able to look back and point to many ways that Deb will have been a Deborah type of leader to me, pointing me to faith rather than fear, pointing me to an ever-increasing listening practice, listening to God.
and a lifelong commitment to be present with my people. Who are you calling to faith? Are there folks in your life you're, you're calling forth, calling out of fear and reminding them of God and leading them to more faithful living in Christ? Friends, I think Deborah's story is a story for all of us. You don't have to be in positional leadership somewhere in your job or in the church or in your, in your community. Deborah's story is a story for all of us because each and every one of us have a role to play in the kingdom of God. Each and every one of us has a way to contribute the gifts that he has given us, the skills that he has equipped us with, to help walk people forward in their faith. And we do it for one another. That is part of being in community and part of being a church. Can we hear Deborah beckoning us to listen to God more closely, to be present with people in our lives, and to help people we know turn away from fear and towards faith in the God who loves them and who fights their battles with them? Which of these three lessons in leadership do you need to step towards this week? I'm going to pray in just a moment. I'm just going to give you some time to consider that. We, every week, have a time of response here at, at Christ City. Um, and, uh, and during that time of response, I would just invite you to listen to the Spirit and ask the Spirit, what, what, what would you have me do with this message today? Would you pray with me? God, we are grateful. Um, we're so grateful that you used Deborah to prompt us to listen to you, to prompt us to be more present in our community with the people that you've placed in our lives. God, that you, you prompt us with her story to lead us back into faith into more faithful living with you, out of, out of fear, into faith. So Lord, I pray that you would work this message into our hearts and that you would help us know how to take faithful steps towards you in the coming days. And we thank you, Jesus, for loving us and for making a way for us to be in relationship with you. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen.